I've just noticed that lends with us today over here. And I think that reading might have put a smile on your face. The mute shall speak in that day. Well, it was my birthday uh, a week ago and uh, I've nearly made a half century. 49 not out. Uh, I reckon next year I'm going to get a cricket bat and I'm going to stand outside the church and I'm going to wave it at the SCG. Uh, but I doubt that any of the members are going to take notice and applaud. Uh, I reckon the only thing I'm likely to get next year for my 50th is my colon cancer test kit from the government. Uh, something I'm told happens when you hit 50. Uh, so something else I've been warned about uh, as you approach 50 is that your eyesight starts to really deteriorate and just last week I was sitting in Bible study with the group and uh, I discovered that someone had stolen my Bible and replaced it with an exact copy just the font was three points smaller <laughs> and the verse numbers were swimming and uh, someone yelled at me Joe get your eyes checked <laughs> And Alison went, I've been saying that. <laughs> and I said, well, it's just because I'm tired. Uh, and every time Alison's mentioned it, that's always been the case, right? But isn't that the exact way we deal with uh, things we don't like hearing? We just make excuses and we, and we brush it off. The evidence might be sitting right in front of our faces, but either we just plain refuse to see it or we make up alternative explanations so that we don't have to do anything, or we just shrug and say, well, it's not really that bad, is it? I, I can cope. Uh, when the reality is we should just go and get our eyes checked, uh, whether literally when it comes to the possibility of glasses or whether metaphorically in regards to all the other things that we're confronted with that challenge our comfortable way of thinking and living and uh, the world and lives and, and, and how things are going. And even though deep down we know it might just do us good to go and get them checked and that it's better to face the truth than to live with a lie and just deal with the issues, we still make excuses, don't we, to our own harm and detriment, all sorts of things in life. And I think that's particularly the case when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need your eyes checked when it comes to him? Lots of people do, in fact most people do, but they make up every reason in the world, all sorts of excuses not to look at him, to see him properly and deal with him. We've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel for the last few weeks and as we hit chapter 11 today we meet three groups of people who really did need to get their eyes checked when it comes to Jesus. Uh, each of them had very different eye problems that, to each other that they faced uh, there's John the Baptist who, who thought he might have been seeing things that maybe Jesus, well, it was a mirage that he'd been confident in, but now he was wondering. There's the crowds with Jesus and, and it turns out they're distracted by the wrong things about him. And then there's the people from the towns that he previously visited and their problem is they just close their eyes and they refuse to see what was right in front of them and make up every excuse in the world uh, not to do something about him. And all of them needed an eye checkup, and maybe we need one too, because walking around in the dark is a very dangerous thing physically, and it's very, very dangerous spiritually. 
Well, let's start with John the Baptist. He needed his eyes checked because he thought he might have been seeing things. Uh, I don't know if you've thought a great deal about John the Baptist. Uh, I used to, I became a Christian, in fact, at a church that was named after him. It was very confusing because it was St. John the Baptist Anglican Church. Uh, and I was like, well, the Baptist are Anglican? Anyway, I didn't know any better. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you thought a lot about John the Baptist. Uh, in his day, he was incredibly famous. Uh, he was the greatest prophet that the country of Israel had ever known. He was regarded as the final prophet of God and, and he'd been given the unique job of pointing to God's king when he finally arrived as promised. He lived in the wilderness. Uh, he dressed like a wild man in camel skins and he just ate rough. Uh, and people flocked out to the deserts to see him and hear him because he was preaching the coming of God's judgment on all his enemies, which would happen when the Messiah came. And the moment he met Jesus, he knew for certain that God's king, God's saviour had come. That's him there, Jesus the Christ. But things hadn't gone to plan, at least to the plan John thought God should have in mind. As part of his job of denouncing uh, the, the country and announcing the arrival of the king, he was telling people and warning people to turn around, to be prepared to change, or in his words, repent of their sins, so that they might be able to welcome properly God's king rather than be crushed by him when he comes. And he was absolutely fearless in his preaching, calling on everyone, no matter how high their rank, uh, no matter what their station in life or how powerful they were to repent of their sins. Uh, and as a result, he'd even confronted the reigning king of the country, uh, Herod Antipas, who, who, who was kind of a Putin-type figure in his day, nasty piece of work. And he said to him, stealing another man's wife just isn't on. You need to repent, turn around. And he'd say that to the crowds because Herod had seduced his, uh, the wife of his half-brother, Philip, who was the king in the next region, right? And he'd stolen his wife away from him and they were shacked up together. And Herod wasn't too happy about a jumped-up little upstart out in the country denouncing him publicly. And so he had John the Baptist arrested and put in jail. So John's now languishing in jail, not knowing what's going to happen to him. He's been there for some time and you can imagine why he might start to wonder if Jesus really is the Messiah. Really? Because here I am. And maybe you've had your doubts and suspicions and questions and reasons to, to question Jesus' kingship because of things that you are going through. Perhaps you were raised to believe in Jesus or maybe you became a Christian in youth group or in uni and you imagine that things would be better than they are now, that why has life turned out like this? You imagine that you know God should have brought other things into your life, better things, but circumstances have caused you to question whether you're really on the right track, whether you've backed a winner. Maybe you've even had some real heartache to deal with and you've started to question Jesus like, like John, even John the prophet was and did. But at least John recognised that was what was going on and he wasn't going to die wondering. 
And I want to say, if you're having doubts right now, or if you ever are in the future, don't die wondering. Don't die wondering. So John sends some messengers to Jesus, disciples of his who've been visiting him in jail, to ask the question in verse 3. Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? You get the question, right? Did I get it wrong, Jesus? Was I just seeing things when I said you were the one? It was just a mirage. Well, what's Jesus' answer? It's not a straightforward yes or no, is it? Uh, Instead, he says to the messengers, well, look with your own eyes and go back and tell him what you've seen. Look at what I've been doing and see if they really are the things that the Messiah, the Christ, would be doing. See there, verse 4, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And as you go back through the previous chapters of Matthew's biography, that's exactly what has been happening. You don't even have to go back that far. Just just go back a chapter or two to chapter 8, and and Jesus cleanses a leper uh, of his life-threatening, humanly incurable disease. I mean, leprosy was the cancer of its day. And with just a word and a touch, the leper was cleansed. He healed the centurion's servant who was at the point of death. Uh, He did it without even having a doctor's consult. He was suburbs away. He just said the word and the guy was healed. Um, Jesus healed so many, we're told, in the city of Capernaum that the hospitals were emptied. That uh, The crowds brought vast numbers of the sick to him and he healed them all. He'd healed a paralysed man who'd been lying on a mat decades. He left up and went home dancing for joy with his bed on his shoulders. A, a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years was cured and then Jesus had raised a girl who'd been dead and was in her coffin in the middle of the funeral party. Is, is Jesus really the one? Sh- should we look for someone else? And, and in one sense, you could just read what Jesus says to John's messengers as just an accurate summary of everything that he's been doing in Capernaum and the other cities and towns around Galilee and the north of Israel, kind of like their Queensland and just as weird as our Queensland. But, but, but there's more to it because what he's also doing is summarising two of the most famous sections from the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, about what would happen when God came to visit They're both from the prophet Isaiah who speaks about God visiting this world in what you might call a divine invasion. And he would come and invade in order to rescue people from everything that wrecks our lives today. Uh, We read uh, Isaiah 35 a moment ago. It might be worth uh, having a look and seeing it. Page 630 in the Pew Bibles or, you know, it's on no particular page on your phone. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 35. It's one of the most famous parts of the whole Bible, uh, written some 750 years before Jesus. And and it just glance at verse 4. Say to the cloudly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing 
for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He's saying that God's coming. He's going to come and invade this world and he's going to rescue people like you and me from a world where everything has been blighted and wrecked as a result of our rebellion against God. And he's going to save people from all that for a new world where all that's gone once and for all. And John the Baptist would have known that passage off by heart. And Jesus is saying to him, take heart, be strong, do not fear. Look, it's all happening right now. Look at the evidence. No human can do the mighty works that Jesus Christ did. No one sitting here today could do anything like that, could they? I mean, have you tried? I I can't. Uh, And and if you think you could do some of those things, well, uh, give it a go on your way home. Uh, Campbelltown Hospital could do with a visit. uh, Solve the parking problems as well. Anyway, (laughs) Try, try stepping out into a storm when it hits next week and just tell it to back off and see what happens. Jesus did and, and it stopped. I mean, I, I once thought that I had a magical power, that I had the power to make flies go away completely by saying three times in rapid succession, go away, fly, go away, fly, go away, fly, and they just poof, disappear. Uh, I was only 10 at the time, so anyway. But, but little did I know that they were, just, they were all just sitting on my back, feasting away on my sweatshirt shirt. You know, hundreds of them enjoying the environment. They hadn't gone anywhere. Can't make a fly go away, let alone a storm. But then Jesus also quotes a second famous Old Testament passage, which is also from Isaiah, but it's from chapter 61, just a little bit later, when he says, And the poor are told the good news. And in Isaiah 61, the promise is made that the poor, and by poor Isaiah doesn't just mean the people who have got no cash, but but those who are suffering in this sin-wrecked world, the poor who face death, the poor who face disease, that's you and me, us poor people, will have good news preached to them. There's hope. But also in both passages, there's also a warning, isn't there, for God's enemies. It's good news. It's great news for sure. If you love God and recognize the one that he's sending, but what if you won't? Isaiah 35, here is your God, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. Isaiah 61, the very next verse after the poor will hear the good news, God has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but also the day of God's vengeance. And that's going to be extremely relevant when it comes to Jesus' assessment of the other eye problems that people were having. But for those who are like John, who are having doubts because of the difficult circumstances you're in, Jesus would say to you, take courage. Look at the evidence. You weren't just seeing things when you came to believe in Jesus. It wasn't just wishful thinking. If your experience has led you to thinking, well, is he really God's king? Is he really the one? Just just look at his works. The evidence, which is overwhelming, Jesus isn't a mirage. He's the real deal. Here is God's king come. And he will do what he said one day. Be of good courage. Well, there's a second eye problem in the passage, and that's the problem of being distracted 
squirrel. <laughs> like when you're looking at a, you know, a magician's hand when you should have been looking at his pocket. You know, you're looking at the wrong thing. And Jesus says that's what the crowds with him are suffering from. That's their problem. They're focused on entirely the wrong thing about him because they're just groupies into the latest fad. They're just hanging around. And so verse 7, as these men were leaving, that John's disciples going back to tell him the message, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, we're more than a prophet. I mean, he was this wild man in his weird clothes before he was in jail and out there in the wilderness wearing camel skins, eating locusts and wild honey. And, and you knew he was different. You knew he was, he knew he was a prophet. Everyone did. And I bet it was something watching him, you know, going to town on the people who were with him, denouncing the authorities and calling for, challenging the king even. But they, they weren't there for the most part, to respond to his message. They were there because it was just the most exciting show in town. Right? It, was, it was the cool thing to do. Something different was happening. Let's go and see the latest concert. It's like when half of Sydney turned up in 1959 to see Billy Graham preach the gospel. Half a million people in a city of one million at the time at the Sydney showground altogether. Can't imagine the crowds. Fantastic. And, and sure, lots of people came forward in excitement and some members of our church even did, but for the majority, it was just a spectacle. It's just a show. Something exciting was happening. Right? It wasn't that Sydney was the most religious place in the, in the world as a result. You know, five years later, the same crowd turned out for the Beatles. Right? And they were preaching the opposite and they didn't care, right? And Jesus says to the crowds who are out there for curiosity and entertainment, if you really thought he was a prophet from God and that's what you went out to see, then why didn't you listen to him? You knew he wasn't just a politician, a reed swayed by public opinion and you know, just saying whatever you wanted to hear to get votes for the election. You know? um, and you knew he wasn't in the pay of his rich puppet master. He was no soft man living in the king's court sucking up to a law he was a prophet and he spoke the truth and but if that's what he was doing why didn't you listen to his message which was prepare to meet me john was here to prepare my way verse 10 this is the one about whom it is written see i'm sending my messenger ahead of you he will prepare your way before you We'll come to verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until... He's the last prophet from God. And if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah who's come. The Old Testament says that one will come and then God will come. Let anyone who has ears listen. Listen to him. Listen to what he said. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah to arrive and now here I am. And so if he says to the person who's having terrible doubts about Jesus, look at the evidence, his message to the crowds of people just curious about the latest thing is, listen to the word of God. Don't just let it all wash over you and go over your head. 
I mean, you might have grown up with church things and you're just here because uh, it's just what you do and hadn't thought to do any different. Isn't that what people do on the weekend? Yeah. Um, or maybe you're the kind of person who's always just goes with the crowd and you don't like upsetting the apple cart and you're only here to make someone else happy. <laughs> or maybe you just enjoy the singing and the, the, the food and the chocos and the lovely community that comes with being a, a great church like this one. Those things are great. I love them too. I'm not sure about the chocos, but yeah. Um, but, you know, but you come and it, it, the word of God, though, just kind of washes over you. It's kind of an irrelevant extra thing that happens. You need your eyes checked because God's calling you to be his and his alone, to bow before the king and to come to an end of your efforts and, and to find life in him. There are more serious things at stake than just getting jollied along and doing what you normally do. And there are eternal realities you have to face up to. Where do you stand with this God, with this king? With him there's hope, life, joy, healing, but without him, vengeance is coming. Are you listening to his word and taking it to heart? So there's a second eye problem that you might need to get your eyes checked for, distraction. But finally, Jesus identifies a third group that need their eyes checked for completely different reasons, and that's the towns he previously visited. Their eye problem is that they've just shut their eyes to the evidence and they're just making excuses. Have a look at verse 16. Uh, Jesus says, To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace calling out to other children. We played a flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say, wow, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. They're just making excuses, aren't they, for not listening? Oh, John the Baptist, oh, too grumpy, too severe, too... Oh, don't, can't trust someone that doesn't drink, can you? Can't, I've heard someone say that to me, right? Can't trust someone who doesn't swear, right? I don't know why you'd trust someone who does. Anyway, but why would anyone listen to a grumpy old man? Yeah, well, and Jesus on the other hand, look at it, he's drinking, you can't trust him. Look who he's hanging out with. Right? Well, the scum, right? He must be one of them. Every excuse not to listen, not to acknowledge him, not to follow, when the evidence is right there in front of them because they've got their eyes closed. And it's still the same today. People make excuse after excuse after excuse not to embrace Jesus. From the philosophical excuses like, these things can't have happened because there is no God. And therefore God can't exist to do these things because these things can't have happened, which is completely circular and completely stupid. <laughs> There's the I'm too busy excuse. I just don't have time to look into it. Really? Disney Plus and Facebook are so essential that you couldn't live without them for a couple of weeks to check out if Jesus really is God's Messiah come to save you. Don't you have annual leave? <laughs> well, there's the excuse, my family and friends just won't like me, so I won't bother looking into it because it might be too dangerous. You know? And sure, from certain cultural backgrounds, there may be very real consequences. You might even be disowned or worse. 
But why does their opinion matter to you more than God's opinion of you does? If Jesus really is God's king and here's the evidence and he's come to call you to him and he promises and then to the devastation of this sin-wrecked world for an eternity in glory and joy, then yes, there's a cost, but, but don't use it as an excuse. Or the Jesus disagrees with my current views on life excuse. And so I don't want to know if he's right because I might have to change. <laughs> if he really is the king, well, then he really gets to call the shots, doesn't he? And if he's coming to bring God's vengeance, why, wouldn't you want to, why would you want to be on the wrong side? And couldn't it just be that he actually knows what he's talking about because he made this world, he made you, he knows what real life looks like and how to do it right? How to, He comes to offer life and life to the full. Maybe he can just do that. Look at what Jesus says about those who make excuses. Verse 20. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles are done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which are both pagan cities, not in Israel, uh, they wanted nothing to do with God. But if the miracles had been done there, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? No, you're going to go down to Hades. You're going to go to hell. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. I mean, Sodom was that wicked city, renowned for its evil that had been destroyed. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What a terrifying warning. As far as Jesus is concerned, there is no excuse not to open your eyes and look at the evidence. To shut your eyes and put your fingers in your ears and say, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Right? Right? That's not going to help you on Judgment Day. So if that's you in any way, make sure you do get your eyes checked and make sure the problem isn't just that you've got your eyes closed. Don't die wondering. It's the same advice I give to all the young blokes. It was the advice that was given to me as a young man about girls. Don't die wondering. Right? If you never ask her out, it's already a no. So suck it up and have a go. Don't die wondering because it just might be a yeah. She might say no, in which case it's no different to what you've already got. You know, but she might say she might just turn out to be the one. No chance if you don't ask. Don't die wondering. Good advice for young men, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, it matters so much more than that, doesn't it? Because eternity's on the line. He claims to hold your destiny in his hands and that what you do with him really matters. He says to ignore him and go your own way will only land you in hell. And you don't want to end up there despite the fools who say, well, that's where the party's going to be, it won't be. To me, that's, that's reason enough not to die wondering. But look at what he's offering as well. If you're really able to deal with the consequences of this sin-wrecked world and really he's offering good news to the poor and sight to the blind, why wouldn't you know if that's true? Because here's his offer right at the end of the passage, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why wouldn't you want to know if that's real? Don't die wondering. The evidence, it's there to see. There is rest for your soul. There's life in joy. There's peace with God. There's an eternity in glory. So I guess my challenge to you today is do you need your eyes checked for any of those reasons? Do make sure you do it. I should go down and see an optometrist. But I'm just tired. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need to have your spiritual eyes checked? Father, these are amazing things that happened and Jesus really does know how to put his finger on the pulse of every single person in this world, doesn't he? And so, Father, we pray that we would see him clearly, that we would do the hard work if we need to and check the evidence and that we might give our lives to him because he is the King and Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.